Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. This is a good one. Uh, probably one of my favorite episodes so, so far. This is um, me, Dan, and Jake Bush uh, talking on live show the other night. Um, we go over all kinds of good stuff in Hill Country, specifically an early season in Hill Country. Dan and Jake are a wealth of knowledge um, on that subject. And I feel like we did a good job explaining um, our thoughts and methods. And you'll like it. Before we get into the show, I need to thank my partners that uh, make this show possible. The first one being Stealth Outdoors. Lou and the guys at Stealth Outdoors um, run a fantastic company. They make a fantastic product. And if you're in the market for any silencing tape for any of your gear, get on StealthOutdoors.com and get you some stealth strips. they got some cool patterns coming out in the near future that I think everybody's going to like. Also, got to tell you about what Exodus has going on. If you're somebody that's been following the Exodus brand over the last seven years and have been hung up on trying one of their reliable, dependable, and really borderline bulletproof trail cameras, then they have a special campaign just for you. Starting right now until June 13th, you can use code YEAR7 to save 20% off the entire Exodus website. That includes the borderline bulletproof Exodus Render, any render bundle, and the SP18 solar panel, which I have used those solar panels. Um, and man, they last forever than your, your camera's battery does. They also are going to run that uh, 20% off using Year 7 with any of the merch on their store. So they got some good stuff in, the, in their merch uh, store. In case you're not familiar with the product line, the Exodus Render is their Verizon. It's a, it's a 4G LTE camera and provide some of the fastest transmission times in the entire industry. On top of that, it's about as user-friendly as it gets and just flat-out works when it, it matters most. So go get you a Exodus Render or some merch. Use promo code YEAR7 for 20% off. The guys at Exodus go above and beyond for their customers. Uh, go check out their uh, all their podcasts and their YouTube channel, Exodus Outdoor Gear. With that, let's get into the episode. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Show number nine, almost in double digits, Dan. Nice. <laughs> um, housekeeping things, uh, if you guys are new to the channel and you like what we're doing, make sure you subscribe. If you're not new and you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. Um, if you got any questions uh, for the end of the podcast here, you can leave them in the Q&A uh, or in the comics comment section. Um, should be on the right side of your, your screen there. At least it is for me. Um, and if you want to call in, I put a link in the chat. So you have to like scroll up to where you can see the, before the echo chat there. And there's a stream yard link. You have to copy and paste that into your, um, your web browser or on your cell phone or whatever you want to do. Um, and call in, if you call in, um, make sure you have a, you know, like a mic, mic like you have on your phone or, uh, a video if you want, want to be, be seen on here. Um, and be respectful. Don't don't be cussing a whole bunch and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, Dan, you got Rick a, a turkey. Rick got curly. Curly. So if, you, if you watched the video where uh, I got my Tom, uh, Curly hung around uh, after I shot him and came over and looked at me in the tent. I took a picture of him and got spooky and took off. And uh, when Rick got on that. Uh, or when we got on that bird for Rick, it would not come anywhere near that tent. So I started getting a little bit 
or I was wondering if it was that bird just because he had that bad experience there. Um, and we didn't get him the first evening, but we watched him roost and we came back in the morning and, uh, put decoys out and, and worked them hard. And it took a while, but the video don't show it, but it took over an hour to get him to come across that field to us. And then even when he came in, he circled way around and Rick made a good shot, uh, like a 50 yarder took him out. Yeah. I was going to mention that. I'm like, man, that was poke Rick. Um, yeah. He had to shoot around the corner too. Um, because the way the blind was facing him because the thing was circling us. Yeah. But it wasn't in range until it got over there. So he had to shoot over there. And I don't know how you stood in that blind. It sounded like Rick had some awful gas during that hunt he too. He was, he was just blasting. Ugh. I left it in a video to kind of embarrass him. So he'd uh, stop that. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a problem yeah. for sure. I don't fart. Um, I don't have a bunghole. <laughs> That's all. That's all we need to say about that. Uh, <laughs> no, um, no, we actually um, we both have tags for this week. See, Wisconsin, you get weekly tags. Yeah, they come out Wednesday last to Wednesday, right? Or Wednesday to Tuesday, I should say, right? Yeah. So um, yesterday we both got uh, second from last tags went into effect, and we went out hunting yesterday, and uh, actually uh, got onto a lot of turkeys for the little bit of time we had because we just got out in the evening after work. Um, but we ended up, uh, getting into that whole pack of Tom's over by, uh, Dave's farm again. And, uh, trash bag was there and, uh, we watched them all roost. Um, and I wished I could have skipped out of work today, but I had, uh, I had some important stuff I had to do. So the damn job. Yeah. So, uh, tomorrow morning I got something going too, but. Tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to go give them another try. I know there's farm equipment coming in there, so hopefully they don't beat me in there and push the birds into other fields. But it's looking good. Man, yeah, you guys up there having – seems like a lot of people are having a decent season. Um, I saw Tyler Witt. Man, he's he's knocking them down. Yeah, he's always into some good birds, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think he's killed three or so this year. He told me he's killed like 38 toms in the last 10 years up there. Um, He's a good turkey hunter. Mm. I told him he's just show me his tricks but uh, anyway we get complaints about talking about turkey hunting too much it's just that time of year so we'll move on uh, everybody from turkeys um, Rick is on the chats here he said that was not him in the blind he said Dan ate four cans of beans before they left that day blaming me <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> uh hey dan real quick before we before we get jake bush on here what's what someone asked what uh dan does for a job i think that'd be a good question to answer real quick just because it kind of relates to the hunting gear you produce also yeah i'm a i'm a machinist i run an r d department um so what r d is is research development machining so i work with uh teams of engineers to develop new products uh new mechanical products which is how i got into building tree stands as uh josh alluded to that's what i do for a living is invent things kind of in a machine shop not as much as i used to because uh the company was having some hard times and sold off most of my engineering department but uh um it's a, it's a pretty cool job um it's kind of like being back in high school uh machine shop just working on uh whatever you want kind of projects so i got really cool stuff where you build and there's no like time limits or anything and 
do you like tinker around on like a CAD program or something like that? Or is it just. Yeah. The engineers generally draw the stuff up. Um, oh, okay. The invention parts that I do, I just uh, design right in my, uh, my machine yeah. equipment. Um, I can actually uh, draw and when I'm programming, I can draw the parts up and uh, design things. So, I mean, I, I make all kinds of really cool stuff too. So all kinds of stuff in the works right now for um, beast gear um, that are just being proved out and um, back into engineering being drawn and stuff. Cause a lot of the stuff I make in my head and then I make it out of material and uh, then you tweak it and then some engineers got to draw it and uh, we got to run programs on it to see weak spots and stuff like that. Um, but we got a really cool stand we're working on that I think is going to shock the market almost as much as when we, you know, invented water jet and machine stands. Um, I think uh, this new stand's going to really take off. We've also got camera arms in the works. We've got uh, another project that you know about um, that I'm working on. I mean, there's always there's always stuff I'm inventing in the shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of exciting things. It's kind of cool because when you got that uh, ability, you can just kind of grab any idea in your head and make it. I got everything I need right yeah. there. Yeah. Right. Just if you had more time. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the thing everybody's chasing after. Um, all right, let's uh, let's hop uh, Jake in here real quick. Hey guys. Hey, hey. Jake. How's it going? Good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh yeah. Thanks for getting on, man. You were a uh, a lot of people are excited about this one, so um, it's cool that you got on here. So there are probably some people that uh, maybe don't know who Jake Bush is. Um, so who, who's Jake Bush and I guess tell them where you reside and where you used to reside and why you reside where you are now, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yep. So I'm Jake Bush. I'm 30 years old. I grew up in Southwestern New York. Uh, my grandpa bought me my first bow when I was three years old and I've been walking around the woods trying to kill animals ever since. It seems like, um, I grew up, you know, hunting with my grandpa and my dad and my family. And that was really my, my favorite memories that I have from both of them. And they're both past now. Um, when my grandpa passed, I decided that I wanted to kind of pursue the hunting thing a little bit more and just, you know, chase after deer in bigger areas, maybe a little bit bigger deer. And I decided to, uh, quit my job in New York and sell my house. And I moved to Ohio and stayed in a 600 square foot apartment for like a year and a half. Um, and yeah, I've been here ever since. Nice. So you moved out of New York to go chase a little, a little bit better deer. Yeah. Yep. You go, you go back and hunt New York much. Oh yeah. Yeah. My brother's up there. So that's a, a lot different hunt for me. You know, that's the traditional fun, like late season muzzleloader hunt or, uh, you know, like doe hunt. Um, I was with him when he shot his first deer with a bow last year. And that was one of my favorite memories. You know, I'll take his doe kill over my buck kill last year for sure. Um, so yeah, yeah, I still go back there. Cool. I kind of always want to go and hunt, hunt like the Adirondacks or some big woods up there, northern. Were you what part of New York? Did you say north? Did you southwestern? So uh, Southwest. the Allegheny Mountains. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Is that the same mountain range? What what runs up like north uh, in, in northern New York? That's going to be the Adirondacks up there. Adirondacks. Yeah. Yep. That's where I, I I spend a lot of time up there for work, and I'm always like, man. I mean, I'm sure there's deer up there. I'm sure they're not giants or anything, but um, 
it'd be an adventure, that's for sure. Um, so then you moved to Ohio in 2019, right? Yep, 2019, June of 2019. Yeah, and uh, that's kind of, I guess, where we want to start the, the podcast. Is you, you shot a deer in Ohio on public land early season that year that scored like 186, right? Yes, sir. And you kind of, every year since then, you've really killed a pretty nice one, um, kind of using the same tactic, uh, essentially, right? Yeah, yep. And, and I just wanted, kind of wanted to get on here and just break that down, how you go about you know, killing these deer early season in, in hill country, not always the easiest task. Um, early season in hill country can be kind of tough. Um, so I thought the best way to do it would just be to um, maybe tell the story of that buck in 2019, kind of the start of it, and and we can kind of dissect it from there or, or talk about at least the key uh, moments in time whenever you, you know, went from finding the buck to killing it. Yeah, so it starts way before 2019. You know, I grew up hunting uh, hill country mixed with a little bit of ag. So I would say 50 acre and under fields for the most part. Um, so, you know, I, I struggled when I was growing up trying to find good deer. And then I eventually figured out how to be mobile without a tree stand and get on good deer. And then I got my first climber and uh, it's evolved ever since then. But I... I was always lacking something and I went in service and I moved back home. And when I moved back home, that was about the time that I found really Dan. I mean, that was a big influence on the hunting tactics that I've implemented and that I've kind of evolved into my own system over the years through, uh, through just hunting a lot and, and being out there in the woods a lot. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really what kicked it off for me. You know, at up to that point, I didn't even, I never thought about a buck's bed necessarily. Like I knew that deer bedded in certain areas and, growing up, I was always taught, stay out of those areas, you know, don't be intrusive to those areas because you won't kill a big deer. And mm -hmm. I believed in that for a long time. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I found Dan and I found a couple other guys and I found the hunting beast and, uh, I started just, you know, taking on little tidbits of information and I'm the kind of person where if I learn something, I really have to go out and do it or I won't retain it. And so it was very important yeah. for me to spend a lot of time in the woods. Um, so coming down into, Ohio, I had always, I've always loved early season. You know, I've always been the guy that's out scouting a lot and I've, I've tried to pattern deer. And, you know, in high school, I was just filming deer uh, while other people were at parties or hanging out or playing football or anything like that. Like I was, I was always doing something in the summer to try to pattern deer. And I ended up having some decent success doing that. Um, and so coming down here, that was kind of my system. You know, I decided that I'm going to go out and I'm going to scout really hard and I'm going to try to find beds based on at the time, you know, beast tactics, it was, that's what I knew. That was, I, I really believed in it because I saw it work quite a bit. And, uh, so I, you know, got on my Onyx at the time and I scouted just, I can't even tell you how many hours on Onyx, you know, I would, I would barely, I, I wouldn't be productive at work. Sometimes I wasn't sleeping very much. I was trying to find areas that set up, you know, leeward. So down here with the Southwest wind, I want to find ridge systems that are generally facing to the north or to the east and i really like it if they have a very obvious destination food source so in a lot of cases like a private ag field and then what i would do is i would put boots on the ground to try to find specific bedding specific travel corridors and in my favorite thing uh hub scrapes or secondary food sources in between the destination food source for the night so you know that was kind of my plan throughout the summer i had june july and 
August to really fine tune that. And I spent a ton of time, maybe spread myself a little bit too thin throughout Ohio, where I was driving up to like two hours to some of these very specific spots. Um, and September hit and I told myself, you know what, you've, you've done enough work at this point. I think that you're good to go. And that lasted about an hour and a half. And then I decided that I wanted to go scout another piece. That's the piece I ended up killing my deer on. So like the, you know, that OCD factor, I guess, is what kind of led me to that deer because I just, I had to have more knowledge and more information and I wanted to scout right up until season. So at the time I had uh, four or five cameras total and I had one left. So I decided, okay, I'm going to go into the spot to hang a camera up. And I crossed the top of the ridge. It was like an eight mile loop that day and it was really hot out. I ended up getting into uh, seed ticks really bad. So I was covered in seed ticks pretty early and uh, worked down these, this ridge system. And there was like probably 10 different ridges that faced east. The, the points of the ridges faced east. And then 300 yards below that, it was a private ag field. And so, you know, well, if they're bedded on those points and that ag field still has corn in it, there's a pretty good chance that those deer are jumping down off their beds and beelining to that cornfield and if i can find the right point with the right beds on it and the good sign i think that i can make you know a play on a deer um at the time you know i just wanted a good buck like that's i'm from new york i'm in ohio now i'm all excited about it i just want a good buck like that's what i care about and uh so i scouted down through all those ridges and i had one left and it, i was so hot and dehydrated and miserable that i almost gave up i was really thinking about trekking the you know two miles back to the truck um, but I decided that, you know what, I'm just going to go to that last ridge. I haven't seen a lot of sign all day, but I'm going to go check the last one. And if it's junk, I'm going to get out of here. Uh, so I got to that last ridge and I remember I crossed the top of like the second to last ridge and I was coming down into the bottom and it was torched with deer sign. There was big tracks all over the place. There was little rubs that were fresh, which got me really excited. Uh, there was a couple scrapes that were opened up. They had pee in them still. So it was fresh. And, uh, as I worked up that next ridge point, I ended up seeing a giant rub, like a really big, fresh rub. And at the time it was the biggest rub I've ever seen. And I was thinking like, man, it's, you know, it's the first week, I think it was like maybe the 10th of September. Like that is, that's very odd to me to see a rub of that size here this time of year. Like, I don't, I don't see that back in New York. So the curiosity got me and I headed up to the rub and I get to the rub and then I see a scrape. And I was like, okay, well, you know, there's a scrape right there and there's this ridge dumping down from here. And there's two or three other sub ridges that kind of dump down in the same area. And it makes like a little hub. I was like, I want to go check out that scrape. And I took two or three more steps and I jumped the biggest deer I've ever seen right off of a bed right, you know, 80 yards above that scrape in a thicket. And I could see him as he ran off. I could see giant antlers. I mean, I was thinking, you know, 150 inch deer probably. Like I had no idea at the time. It was the biggest buck I've ever seen. So I was, I was ecstatic. Um, so what I was telling myself is, you know, you've seen this before in New York, this is, you've seen these beds like this, you've seen them travel to these food sources. And especially the first day or two of season, if you're the first person to make a play on that deer, you might have a really good chance of catching him coming to that food source still before he gets boogered up by anybody, especially if you have the right wind. So I made a plan. I put a uh, camera on that scrape and season rolls around. So day one, we ended up having a crazy wind. I believe it was like a Southeast wind and I don't have a way to get in there and hunt that deer. So I decided I'm going to hold off. I hunted a CRP field and uh, 
didn't have any luck. I saw one doe. And then day two, I had my Southwest wind that I was looking for. So the cool thing about the spot is you can access from the east or the west. Uh, but the access on the east is like kind of on a major, it's not a highway, but it's like a major road. So it's kind of like it's uncomfortable to park there. You have to pull off in the ditch a little bit and it's very uncomfortable for me. You know, I'm in a new area. Uh, so I throw my stand on my back. I cross a big creek and I start working up into there. And I generally for these hunts like to leave the house or like to be leaving the truck about 11 o'clock. And then I'll work in, you know, one, two o'clock looking for sign on my way in. And then I try to get set up and I try to just sit there and wait, especially if I have a good wind and I know my thermals aren't going to dump down the wrong way. So I started working in and I get down in the bottom of the first hub. So you have like a, where the ridge fully comes down to the bottom, there's a hub, but the better hub was the one that was like, you know, maybe a third of the way up that ridge where all those sub ridges met. So I, that was like a better area. That scrape seemed to be hit a little bit more. So I kept telling myself, okay, you have the, the destination food source. You've got the secondary food source, which was a white oak tree that that scrape was underneath. And you know where he's bedded. Like if you can shoot that secondary food source without getting winded, if I, if I can make it there, get set up and be ready without getting winded, I feel like I have a really good chance at having that buck or a good buck come off of that bed headed down towards the Creek and then towards the field. Uh, it was really hot that day. It was 95 degrees out. And so I assumed that he might want to come down for water at some point as well. You know, the, the Creek was only at absolute max, like maybe 200 yards from his bed. So I, uh, I worked my way up and I, I ended up getting set up. It took me a long time to get set up. You know, it was you know, a pretty calm day overall. So I was waiting for like, any sort of breeze that I would get to hang a stick or if a squirrel would chatter, I'd hang a stick and then I would just sit there and wait and, uh, kept waiting, kept waiting. I finally got to the point where I was set up, you know, about 20 feet high. I had one branch that was like right behind my head that gave me a little bit of cover. And that was kind of my target, like getting the cover. Um, yeah, I got set up and I started doing some filming and it was really early. It was like three 30 in the afternoon. I ended up hearing a stick crack. And I looked to my left and I could see a good buck walking straight down the ridge. And then I saw him turn and start like uh, almost jogging towards the oak tree. And so I got my bow ready and I got my camera swung around and I pulled up my binoculars real fast. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's a it's a good buck. You know, it's got long tines. It looks like a good deer. And uh, he came right into that oak tree at 30 yards and put his head down and started eating white oaks. Um, the way that it set up, I had it just off. So my, my, the wind was a Southwest wind, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't very breezy. It was like maybe five to seven miles per hour. Uh, and then I had, it's a very steep, like a North face on the, on the front of It's an Eastern facing Ridge, but the North side of it is where he was bedded and it was shaded. So I didn't have a very hard thermal pull the whole night. So I had a just off wind and he circled down to that white Oak tree and I ended up shooting him at 30 yards. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's a cool hunt. So I kind of want to back up to um, like scouting for for this early you know early season. When have they both been in September? Yes, both yeah. deer you killed. Yep. Uh, okay. the, no, the first one was October second, I believe. Okay, but shortly after season started. Yep. Um, 
I guess I want to ask you and and Dan this question: like the deer you guys have killed super early um, in the season, how important was like intel that you got scouting in the summertime or you know shortly before you actually killed the deer? Because um, you know we we do talk a lot about scouting in the in the spring. Um, do you think you could have found the sign you needed in the springtime um, to make the appropriate move or be in that area for, for that deer? Yeah, and you can take that if you want. Okay. Uh, so um, I'm going to answer your question in a roundabout way, but first I wanted to say that uh, um, Jake was reminding me of me when I was about 30. Um a lot of those really big bucks that I've shot early season. Um, and if you've watched my stuff close, um, my very biggest bucks have come opening day in September. Um, most of those were located through aggressive scouting where I covered a lot of ground, very similar to what he was describing. And you run into the right scenario and those scenarios are far and few between. Um, but when you run into them, you kind of know. And, uh, but it's hard. I mean, it takes you, you know, a whole summer, maybe two of doing that to, to really get on a good one. And you have to have the time and uh, the energy. It really takes uh, an obsessive drive. That's why the younger guys are better at it. And I was better at it when I was younger because you, you got to really want it in order to, to put that much time into it. Um, a few things I keyed in on what he was saying. I mean, it really reminded me exactly how I go about, uh, going after those bucks at that time frame um the scrapes in there in september i had to smile at that because my two biggest bow kills were killed on uh opening weekend over scrapes just like that and i've come to believe that those scrapes are because there's multiple bucks betting in that area at different points of the hub and where they intersect where they meet be it at the oak tree or where the trails intersect there will always be a scrape there and, and that scrape is what you want to be set up over. Um, not to say they'll always come straight to it, but they generally check that scrape before they move on or like in his case, go down the hill. And it just brought back a lot of memories. Um, what he was talking about. Um, so I kind of answered your question, but in a roundabout way, I just wanted to relate it to what uh, Jake was saying. You got a take on that Jake? Yes, sir. So, um, it, it's funny you say that because, you know, I'm sure that you get this a lot, but, you know, as, as young, as younger guys and hunters, we idolize, you know, the guys that are really getting it done and, uh, become students of them. You know what I mean? Like I study everything I can. And a lot of these guys are doing the same thing. You know, I see a lot of guys that are having a lot of success doing that, where they're studying these guys that have really put the work in almost for us. And, you know, now it's, we have a lot more, uh, upfront knowledge maybe and it's just a matter of how much you want it i guess you know like how, how much work that you want to put in um but yeah so i would say that uh you know the majority of the deer that i kill early season which is what i really like doing i really like focusing my whole year on being the first person to take a shot at that deer i really i just i have the most success doing that um but yeah the 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 aggressive scouting throughout the summertime and then the you know spring scouting does the same thing for me um one thing that i really key in on spring scouting here especially in like hill country is 
you know, there's beds all over the place, but I really try to like get down in the beds and like pick through the leaves, the different layers of leaves throughout the years or throughout the seasons to see, you know, this deer's here all the time. It's not necessarily a winter bed or a bed that he's been in for a couple months. Like he's here a lot. And I'll take that intel and do the same thing. Um, but yeah, really it's, it's a matter of getting intimate with your hunting areas during the summertime and in the spring and being confident enough to say, okay, I, you know, even if you're wrong, but which for me, 95% of the time I'm wrong, but every time I go out, I tell myself he's right where he should be. You know, I did the scouting that's going to pay off and I'm going to go in there and, you know, normally it's a swing and a miss, but, uh, when it works out, it's a pretty sweet feeling. You know, what's interesting about it is you can go back to the spots. You can kill deer after deer after deer in those spots, nice bucks, but the real giants, you kill one in a spot like that and you got to move and you got to find a fresh one to kill another one. Um, you don't, you don't kill, you know, five or six year old bucks in spots that you go to every year. You kill them the first time you go there and then they're, you know, then they're absent. So you, you got to keep working at them. Uh, do you see that too, Jake? Yeah, yeah, I definitely do. Uh, that it's funny you say that because that's tough lessons learned, right? Um, I hunted that spot the following year and it took me until mid November to end up killing a, a decent buck. You know, I, I had a good one there for a little bit, but he vacated pretty quickly and it wasn't anything near the caliber of the one the year before. Um, so yeah, I've, I've definitely found that and I'm trying to get to the point where I have enough of these absolute of, of the spots that you said, you know, you look at it and it just like knocks you backwards almost. You're like, that is a spot where there's a good buck. I feel like, you know, I, I've heard you talk about it. I've heard a couple guys talk about it, but if you stack up enough of those spots, eventually you're going to have probably a pretty good buck to go after every year. If you can yeah. cycle through those locations. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the reason I brought up the um, scouting in the before season or summertime is a lot of times we, we talk about scouting in the spring and how important that is. And it is super important, but it's like sometimes to get on these, these giants, especially if you want to shoot one right off the bat, there's, you got to put in work all year round for them, you know? Uh, it doesn't stop whenever turkey season gets here, and then you just wait around until deer season. In um, Wisconsin, we can uh, we can shine deer during the summer. Yeah, I was just getting ready to say that. And you, I'll drive around and, and search, and all I have to do is locate a buck. Then I'll be able to keep tabs on them till season. You know, you just keep watching for them, looking for them, knowing about where he's at. Sometimes they move, you know, before seasons. Like like they, some bucks have a summer range and a winter range. And some of them just stay in the same range all the time. Every buck's got a different personality. Mm -hmm. But if you find one, you know he's somewhere in that area. You can follow him as long as he stays on public land. Um, but uh, just locating a buck. I mean, because there's not a 170 or 180 inch buck in every public property. You know, you have to go find where one is at. You know, there's not even really a Pope and Young on every property. I mean, a lot of guys will hunt the same property over and over again, and they might move rotate through the property but it might be once in five years or something shooter there you know so a guy has to be open-minded to always looking around and always um, moving at least in my opinion jake was telling that that story um and i was thinking about a buck i chased probably probably five years ago now in the hill country here in indiana and it's classic like all the privates big big woods hill country and then excuse me, on the public is Big Woods Hill Country where this deer was bedding on, on a point in a hub. And that hub led down to the private crop fields. And you could go into those private crop fields like 
I don't know, probably two or three hours after dark and you could shine him in the summertime, he'd be there. Um, and he was bedding in that hub and I went, um, how I found out about that deer and where he was bedded is, um, I walked into the bedding, uh, I was turkey hunting there the spring before and I walked into this area. I thought I heard well, I was turkey goblin or something. And, and I came up on, down this, this little point that went down to the hub. They ended up being his bedding area. And there was a set of sheds, his sheds were laying there. Um, and then I walked, ended up, I'm like, cause then my turkey hunting instincts kind of just went away. You know, I thought, thought thing about this deer. I walked down the um, point into the hub and there laid his other set from the year before down in the hub. Um, so he was just there all the time. I mean, I, I saw him in the summertime in those fields where he was probably bedding up in that, that point. And then, um, yeah, I, I threw a couple of hunts at him and then actually me and Dan hunted him and, uh, had some other people come in and just put pressure on him, I'm sure. And he left, but that hub was not set up perfect for, in, uh, entry, <laughs> but, that was the problem with him. He had a real good spot there. They usually um, do. Yep. That's for sure. For sure. Now looking back on that though, like, like Jake said, I probably should have thought about like just taking the long way in and, mm-hmm. uh, or parking on a different road and walking a few miles, um, extra, but, uh, you live and learn, I guess. I monitor that area, uh, every year waiting on one to show back up. Um, you know, what the, about the go ahead jake sorry oh i was gonna I, I wanted dan's opinion on this and i was gonna mention something that you brought up there you know the whole uh you said that he was always there right and he was there year round basically right mm-hmm. and uh one thing that i try to focus on here is trying to determine if it's a spot where you're going to have to play that shift come season or if it's a spot that they're always in you know like is there enough food is there enough browse is there enough security cover um to keep them there year round or is it a spot where say you have a bean field a mile away and you can glass that deer from the bean field but you've got your cameras already set up in the hard timber anticipating the shift that's going to come because of the acorn drop and the beans getting cut you know that's that's something i struggle with a little bit down here still i'm trying to fine tune it and uh yeah more than anything i was just curious if dan you kind of take that same approach of trying to figure out you know, what scenario you're going to have. Yeah. I kind of look at the terrain and I can usually, um, if I know a buck's in the area, I can look at the terrain and, um, just from years of looking at beds, I can tell which bedding areas should be better. And I just kind of, um, uh, hunt them down. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I won't, uh, if I know a buck's in there and I know I'm going to be hunting it, I don't go in there and get aggressive during the summer and scout it. I do that to locate a buck. Right. But if I have a buck located, I don't really want to screw with them. So I'll go in and, you know, poke at them, you know, unless I got the spring to scout the spring, obviously you can go in there and do what you want. You have time to settle down, but, um, I'll just, I'll go and hunt the different bedding areas, um, based on what I see on maps and stuff and walking and glassing and looking at the, the, the terrain. Um, and, uh, usually I'll have an interaction with a buck if it's a, you know, um, most areas, if he's, if he's hanging in that area, you know, I also find that, um, real mature bucks when they get to be like, let's say five, six, seven years old, um, they're not what people think. Everybody thinks you just touched that deer and he's so smart. He'll be 10 miles away. Um, that's the three-year-olds. Those things will just 
jump up and relocate. But the older they get, they just seem like um, they understand those bedners and they really um, they have less of them. And they take the best ones and they kind of kick the other deer out of them. And I'll get those really mature bucks that once you find your bedroom, they just live there all the time because they found a way that they can live out there and not get harassed. And they're, they're there and they've survived because nobody's figured that out. And, you know, you figure it out. They're not really that hard to kill, you know, and that kind of goes against what everybody wants you to say. They want you to say how hard it was. And, you know, the hard part's finding them and locating the spot. Kill, killing them is the easy part because you can't even kick them out of some of these spots. Um, once they get to that age range, you'll just go, you know, like you walk into the bed and they run out. And if you stand there long enough, they come sneaking back in to see if you're gone. Yeah. Um, Jake, you want to talk about, uh, the, the big deer you killed, um, a couple years ago. Uh, I wanted to get into the, the trail cam thing a little bit with you. I don't think, did you ever have that big, the, the deer in 2019 on trail camera? I did not No, I had a, okay. I had a decent buck in there, like 150 inch 10 point that I would have been, that's the buck that I thought I was after, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. The luck just played out a little bit different than that, I guess. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about that. The, the other deer, uh, I don't know. I don't know what it scored, but it was a, a big one too. Um, that you killed a couple years later or the next year, maybe even, um, can you walk us through that one? I actually just watched that show or, uh, you put on YouTube. So it's fresh in my mind. The, the dad's buck one. Yeah. Your dad's yeah. buck. Yep. Okay. So, uh, that's a really special one to me. Um, so, you know, I, I brought up that I grew up hunting with my dad and my grandpa. And one of the big things that I always wanted to do was get them a good buck. You know, they were the best hunters that I knew at the time growing up and they killed every year. They got their two bucks every year, but being in New York, you know, in the eighties and nineties and early two thousands, a 100 inch two and a half year old was a really good deer for the area we're in, you know, it's so, so I always looked up to them, you know, every time that they would bring a buck home, I'd get in the back of the truck and grab onto its antlers and do the pose. You know, I've got pictures of that. Um, so one of my goals was to get them good bucks though. You know, I really wanted to do that. And my grandpa passed before I moved down here and I didn't get the chance. So it was, it meant a lot to me to be able to do that for dad. Um, I ended up not, not getting the chance, but, uh, what I, what I was going to do was put them in the spot that ended up killing the steer. So it was this, it was a spot that I found a ton of sheds. I went in in the spring and I found like 15 sheds and it's a pretty small tract of public land. It's very thick though. It's full of green briar. You know, it's the nastiest, thickest thing that you could probably have besides a swamp. Um, so it was, it was some pretty good terrain. Um, and there was a hidden oak flat that was not that far off the trail, but it was basically all the hunters would walk the trail past this oak flat. And what I found was there was a couple good ridges in there where the deer were bedding, watching that trail and they would drop off the backside down into an oak flat. And then they would travel another like mile and a half and go out to a cornfield and a bean field. So they were, you know, I've got the destination, I've got the secondary food source and now I have the beds. Um, I scouted that area a lot and put out quite a few cameras in that area this year. I, I decided that, uh, you know, I really wanted to try to dial in like specific movement, not only beds. Um, so, you know, I, I put out my cameras in early July 
And I don't ever check a camera until September, really. You know, I believe in the spots I've scouted for the most part. And I like to soak my cameras because of A, the shift, and B, I don't want to be intrusive, like Dan said. You know, I found good sheds in there. I found good beds. I would like to just have to go in maybe one time and check cameras and then get out of there. Um, so that's what I did. You know, I, I up to that camera pole, I didn't really have that good of a buck to hunt this year and uh, ended up checking that camera on a scrape and I had him on there twice and it was on a Southwest wind day. Well, I had a camera up on top of the Ridge too, and I would catch him traveling over top of that Ridge midday if we had a wind shift. So say he would bed down on like a Southwest wind and he was on the North side of that. But anytime that we would get a wind shift midday to a North wind or even an East wind, he would actually get up midday. It was really thick in there. He would hit this little scrape and then he would go bed down on the other side. Um, so I kept that in the back of my mind. You know, that's not, I actually made a post about that in the summertime about how I was anticipating these shifts and trying to catch like these wind shifts. Um, so I, uh, I checked that camera and I had him on it twice and I had a plan, right? I was like, okay, you know, the, whenever I get a decent wind to get in here, which is going to have to be like a Northeast wind, he'll be bedded on this Southwest facing slope, which is a lot closer to this Oak flat. So I should have, you know, it's like 80 to hundred yards from the Oak flat. So he should be able to get up and get to that Oak flat in daylight. Um, but if he, if he doesn't, I can't kill him because I can't get any closer because it's hard. It's open hardwoods after that. So it's Greenbrier, then it's open hardwoods. And then there's a scrape and on the right on the front of the Oak flat. And then he works out into the egg fields. So, uh, you know, openers coming around, I ended up getting a phone call that my, my dad passed. So hunting is the last thing I'm thinking about. I drove up to New York with the family and, uh, spent a week up there and, you know, did the grieving thing and, had a lot to reflect on, but, uh, I ended up coming back on a Thursday for work. And that was the day that I killed and we woke up pretty early. I wanted to get back and get the family settled in and, uh, just kind of wind down before I had to go back to work. And we ended up getting back in town and I got out of the truck and I was like, the something's different, you, you know, something, something doesn't seem right here. And I'm always paying attention to the wind now. Well, what was different is that we had the Northeast wind I was looking for. And so I asked Hannah if I could go and she was fine with that. And, uh, I grabbed all my gear real quick and I, you know, threw my clothes on and I was out the door and, uh, the whole way there, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about dad. I'm thinking about the plan that I have. I was like, okay, I'm going to circle in from, I'm going to, I'm going to enter this land from the North. I'm going to go to the northwest of the edge of the property and I have to go way. I'm going to like, I'm heading south at this point. I'm going to go south. I'm actually going to be within like a couple hundred yards of his bed. And then I'm going to J hook back up the drainage and work back towards him, towards that oak flat. So I can get set up for the right wind. You know, the way that the northeast wind is, is traveling. I'm good to go because he's bedded on that Southwest face. So there's no way that he'll smell me. And I have the thermals of like the hub system on that side of that Ridge playing my advantage as well. So the interesting thing about the spot is where he beds on a West wind. I actually have to go right through the center of his bed to not bump him, to kill him on a Northeast wind. So this was one of those things that Dan's talked about that I've kept in the back of my head for a long time. It's like, you know, 
if you really believe in the beds that you think he's in, you can intrude on, even if you know there's beds in another area, you can intrude there if you truly believe that he's betting win-based. And so I told myself, you know, there's a good chance there's going to be a doe or a subordinate buck in the Western bed, but I'm going to go through there and try not to bump them too hard. And even if I bump a deer, I'm not going to get discouraged. I'm going to continue my path. I'm going to, you know, stick to what I believe in and I'm going to circle back around and sit there. And sure enough, I get right to that spot where, you know, pinches down the property line is like just to my West. So I have to go through that area and I'm really trying to be quiet and I step on a stick and uh, I hear a deer jump up and take off a lone deer. So I'm like, oh, it was probably a buck. Like there's a chance it was a buck, but I, I really believe that it wasn't the buck I was after, you know, and that was important to me because I kept, I kept hunting the right way on the way in. I kept walking the right way. I kept scouting my way in. I didn't give up because I bumped the deer right out of the bed that I think he normally beds in. So I ended up getting down and around. I J hooked in. And uh, this is another thing that I've caught on to over the last couple of years. When I get to a stand early season, I've, I've told myself, when you get to a location where you think you can see the, stand, the area that you want to be in, just sit down. And the reason that I sit down is I'm listening for everything. So I'm listening for acorns drop. I'm actually glassing the two different oak flats that I could target for squirrels because the squirrels are going to be on the oak flat that's hot at that time. And that's the one thing that really helped me out was, you know, I'm, I'm glassing the oak flat that I ended up killing him on. And there was dozens of squirrels where the other oak flat, there wasn't a single squirrel on that oak flat. And so what I was telling myself now is, okay, there's acorns here. I can hear them dropping. You have to know the last oak tree that's dropping and you have to be able to shoot that. I have to be able to shoot the first tree he's going to get to. And so I'm, I'm watching, I'm listening, I'm watching with my binoculars and I can see acorns bouncing off the leaves on the first oak tree where that scrapes at. And so I told myself, you, you have to get to that point. If you don't, he could hang up there. And if he hangs up there and you're in the tree over here and you can't shoot him and it gets dark, you might ruin your chance at him. So go for it. Um, you know, it was, it was risky because he could see me getting to the tree I needed to be at. So I got down on my hands and knees in the middle of this mucky drainage and I was crawling. So he could see like basically my head if he was looking my direction. Like I, you know, I was, I had enough room to where he couldn't see my full body. So I worked up and the, the thing that I did was I told myself set up on the backside of the tree and, uh, that way he can't see you climb the tree and just make sure that you can shoot that oak tree, which is where that scrapes at. I mean, it just happened to work out that way. So I ended up getting set up and, uh, sure enough, you know, this never happens to me. I never see deer in the woods barely, but three does come down before he did. And they're at like seven yards feeding on these acorns, but my wind's right. My thermals are pulling up so they can't smell me. And, uh, doe looks straight up at me. The, the big nanny doe looks directly at me. And she's stomping and she looks like she's going to snort. She ends up working to myself. And I got to the point where after like 10 minutes, I was so tense and tired from just holding my breath and trying not to move uh, that I ended up actually flinching at her. And she ran directly south, which never happens. She took her fawns directly south and they were gone. I never saw them again that night. So I could see the Greenbrier patch that he was bedded in. It was a big patch, but I could see like the the general area where he, if he stood up and took a couple steps, I should be able to see that. And, uh, when those does had me concentrating on them, he must've gotten up and headed towards the Oak flat because I turned my head back to the left and he was making the turn of the, 
you know, of the beginning of that oak flat, which if you lay your hand out, you'll have like the fingers of your hand. That's the different flats. Like they're very thin, steep flats. And he was headed right down the one I was on to the hot acorns. And uh, he came in and he hit a scrape that was 15 yards. And then he worked to about 12 yards going right to those acorns. And I ended up shooting him. Nice. Yeah, I think something I I, uh, I have to smile about was uh, in both the stories you, you mentioned, like being slow and methodical and quiet. And it takes you a long time to, to, to set up on these deer. And man, it just seems like um, it's always been a pet peeve of mine is like people always talk about how light they can be and how fast they can get in the tree and this and that. And I'm going to one stick. I bet you weren't one sticking up whenever you were trying to get into these uh, these trees shooting these deer, you know. Um, I just thought that was a good like tidbit that people may have missed. Like um, you can really get caught up in these methods of climbing and, and whatnot. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, it, always, you know it makes, I, me, it I, makes I, me nervous sometimes when people start talking about that stuff. It's like, ah, it's I not. Think, uh, I relate to that because I, uh, I often get within like 75 yards. Yeah. Better deer. And uh, I go up the backside of a tree like that. And if you're doing some sort of acrobatics, you're getting busted. It's a slow, methodical climb, you know, and you just, you're, you're going up the backside of the tree so you can peek around and you can see if anything's looking at you and you can, you can actually get to the height you need, not by looking back to see where the deer are, but you're looking in front of you, you're seeing how high you can get based on cover and stuff and where you can put a stand based on what those deer can see. Cause you might get to a point where there's a, you know, a limb in front of you in between you and the deer. And then you can slide the stand around to the front of the tree and you can get to the front of the tree by stepping around and just gluing to the tree, but you couldn't have done it lower in the tree. But by facing the deer and using the tree for cover, you can get away with a lot, but you're not going to do that by, by, you know, hanging from a rope, you know, and trying to really high step. You know, I just don't see that working very well. I'm not saying it don't work sometimes. I'm just saying in the long run, the longer you do this, I think the more you get into just, you know, um, taking the, the longer route, the carrying a little more equipment, but the right equipment is sometimes the, the, the better way. Yeah. You know, it seems like, well, for me, at least the crunch time is when I get to the tree, you know, that's, yeah. that's the most important time. If one, one clank of your stick, even the, the wrong bark rubbing, um, when you're 80 to a hundred yards from a bedded deer, it, it just seems like speed is the last thing that you would want. You know, like I've, I've told stories where I'll hang off a tree uncomfortably where my forearms are cramping and I'll be on the side of a tree for, you know, almost an hour before I actually get my tree stand set up because I'm waiting. I don't want to make, I've already done all this work. I've scouted all year. I've, you know, stalked my way in. I got to the tree. If I mess it up at that point, like that's on me, you know what I like? I just, that's not an option for me. And I've done it a lot, but I try to reduce that as much as possible. For me, the hardest part is uh, picking the tree. Um, One thing I do that's similar to Jake is I stop before I go in there, but a little bit different on the reasons. Some of the same, but one of my big reasons about stopping is my life is so fast paced. And I would imagine most people are in the same way that if I don't take a stop and just sit down for a minute and slow my metabolism and thinking down, I'll find myself going too fast and I'll spook the deer. 
So I have to actually stop and settle myself down and just get into a slow mode. And at the same time, I'm trying to pick a tree from a distance and I'll, you know, I'm looking at what the thermals are going to do, that the wind's going to do, because I don't normally, you, you know, I'll have trees picked out, but that doesn't mean I'll end up in them. If, if, you know, in a lot of cases, a certain wind or thermal or something can screw you, you know? Um, so you're looking at the exact wind of the day in the spot. And I don't care what anybody says, when you get to a spot you're going to hunt, I mean, when you go out there, you look at the weather, you look at the wind and you, and you check the wind to make sure the weather's right. But you throw it all out the window when you get to your spot, especially if you're in hill country, because the wind will be doing something different when you get there. Maybe not drastically different. You have a general idea. They'll be doing something different. And I'm going to look at how the, the cover is on the trees and stuff and pick out my tree. And then when I get to the tree, a lot of times I'll stop like 20 feet from it and see something I couldn't see from the angle I was at. And now I'm picking a different tree. So actually getting into a tree is probably one of the hardest things I do when I get close to a bedded buck. It's picking the exact spot I got to be in. And I think I've gotten pretty good at that. Um, when I first started doing that, I ended up in the wrong tree a lot and would get busted a lot, you know, or um, end up wounding deer because they'd catch me. Where now, more often than not, I'm going to catch that deer completely off guard. Just just by the, the choice of the tree and going in slow and picking it. Yeah. I just wanted to make that point because I've I've made multiple uh, how to climb a tree with a tree stand, like how tos now uh, for whatever the beast, and uh, it's there, you always get those questions like how fast can you climb? I'm like, well, it's really how slow and and undetected can you climb is what you need to worry about. I don't care if it takes you an, an hour to climb up the tree. You got to remember um, that most people were originally taught how to hunt um, by staying away from bedding areas. And they're going out and rut hunting. They're hunting a funnel. Yeah. All that matters is they climb a tree, right? Just go where there's right, right, right. the scent trail. I mean, um, when we're hunting beds, we're hunting a whole different way. Yep. Yeah, no, both those stories are uh, super cool and super unique. People people really struggle in, in hill country. And I think, Jake, you do a really good job of like breaking down each step. And I think that's why hill country can be harder um, than other terrains is because there is a lot, not a lot, there's a little more to think about. Um, when you're breaking down uh, bucks that are bedding in, in the hill country. Um, I think one thing that's nice about um, early season in the hill country um, is it seems like maybe it sounds like you can get a little closer to them uh, yeah. than, than you can when it, the leaves fall off in November in hill country. Man, it, it, can be, it can be hard to get close to a deer. I mean, they'll jump two, two ridges over whenever you're walking around, you know. Um, so that's something something else to think about. Um, yeah, it, uh, it is. And the other thing I do too is I've tried to learn how to be efficient with the deer I'm targeting. So like, you know, I had a deer two years ago that was a giant, but he was bedded on top of a wide open ridge and the weirdest spot, but he could see hundreds of yards through that wide open timber. So I never targeted that deer because I couldn't get close enough. You know, like maybe I could have set up 200 yards from him. But to me, that's, I'm out of the game. And maybe I wasn't, maybe I made the wrong choice, but I try to focus on deer that I believe are going to be in areas that are somewhat killable, you know, like thicker areas. Like you said, early season, you have more cover on the ground. Um, and then obviously based travel routes off of that as well. I'm going to enter based on, you know, this thick part, as opposed to this wide open part, even if 
I'm risking something on the other end of that. You know, maybe my win's going to be really close, but maybe it's just off, but I'm going to be completely undetected from this direction. You know, it's, it's all variables. Another thing I, I keyed in on your, on your uh, earlier story was about how you uh, were okay with kicking uh, deer because I'm kind of that way too. I get questioned a lot as I'm sure you do. Um, what do you do if there's deer in between you? Well, you do what you got to do. You still got to get to your position. You still got to be that tree. You can't hold back because of satellite deer. Because if you do, you're never going to get that deer in range. And if you half hunt, if you hunt too far back, you're just educating them. Your first hunt has to be your kill hunt. You move in. And if you bump some deer, you bump them. Um, I'm curious to, to, to hear some of your ways of uh, bumping the deer. For me, there's two ways. I either try to sneak in real sly and not bump anything, or I try to go in a little bit like um, like carefree. You don't make eye contact and you just keep walking. Even if they get up and jump or something, you just keep walking. Because I think uh, if they think you're just passing through, they seem to react a lot differently. Like they don't just start screaming and stomping and stuff. You know what I mean? So sometimes it's the opposite of what you think where I just kind of push myself in hard to a point you know at some point you got to sneak because of the buck but those satellite deer sometimes um you know i'd like your take on it but if you can sneak around them you do but if you can't i think if i know i'm going to spook them i would i would rather they think i'm just something passing through and they just get up and move off you know yeah yeah i do the same thing both of those um so if it's an area that's thick or that i think that you know if i'm walking haphazardly, maybe the other, you know, the buck I'm after could detect me. I really try to, or if I don't want to spook a deer too hard necessarily, like I'll, 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 I'll have more of a stalking approach, but I have a really good area down here where it's a, it's a big, uh, east facing clear cut. So on a west wind, it's really good. And down in the bottom, there's a bridle trail for horses and hikers. And so I'll throw the stand on the back and I will just walk like, like a regular person right by the deer in that clear cut. And I'll just J hook around to the community scrape right on the edge of the cut. And they think I was a hiker. And I've had a lot of really good encounters right there. Uh, my buddy killed a buck two years ago, coming down from Michigan in that spot, doing the exact same thing. And it, it's just cool. You know, there's so many different ways to approach it. Um, I have areas where there's even hiker trails on top of the ridges and the deer are really used to getting bumped. So in the summertime, one thing I'll do is I'll go on top of the ridge and I'll bump the deer and glass them as they run down. And that's how, that's another way to locate a good deer. You know, it's, it's little things like that, that you kind of pick up on from other people and listening to people and your own experiences that, uh, that are cool that help out quite a bit. What's cool about that too, is when you actually see their escape, Yeah, they're like people. When you go through a woodlot and you're just walking through there from point A to point B, say you're not hunting there. You're just passing through there. You almost always walk the same path. People do, right? Well, deer, when he walks, when he comes out of a place and he leaves, they tend to take the same path. So you might have multiple paths, but your your target buck, if you're specifically after one, is taking one of them. Generally, you know, unless a food ship changes, you know, now they're going for beans. Versus, you know what I mean? But uh, they tend to go through the same areas the same. So if you're glassing them, come out of those beds, they're probably going to do the same the next time they come out of there yeah that's a that's a really good point i like that 
All right, guys, we've been we've been chit chatting for an hour, and I think some people are uh, munching at the bit to ask some questions. So, are we? Are we, Is everybody okay with going to the Q and A? We got quite a few of them. It seems so. like seven minutes. Doesn't it? Doesn't these things <laughs> fly by? Yeah, we've been on for an hour now. Um, we'll, yeah, it's far from over. We'll get some more good stuff in here. Um, I am going to ask a couple of the the Q and A questions that were in the chat, and then we'll get. We got a couple people calling in. Um, so this first one came in. Um, it's for all three of us. Uh, do you have any advice on Kentucky early season hill country? Focus on hills or do the mature bucks actually bed in the middle of the bean fields like I've been seeing with my research? Anybody have an opinion? I, I've hunted a Kentucky a whole bunch uh, early season, but um, I've killed a few big decent deer down there nothing nothing crazy I would, I would certainly be looking for um the bedding on the hills where they belong you know um what they'll bed in bean fields they'll bed all over the place yeah. you know um especially if there's something causing them to like uh, uh some sort of advantage site or smell of some sort um but uh generally uh my first target area is going to be you know the leeward ridges yeah I think uh, so. Kentucky early season. I, I, I'm assuming he's saying early season. It opens the first uh, Saturday in September, um, so the deer are typically on a southern pattern still that time of year. That's pretty early. Um, they can just be. You can catch them in velvet sometimes. Sometimes they're out of velvet, depending on depending on when the first Saturday is in, in the year. If you can find like a late planted bean field. Um, or another trick is it's always hotter than fire down there that time of year is you in the hills, they have, sometimes you'll find little, uh, little like pocket ponds. Um, if you can find some of that near, near some like dropping acorns or something like that, that can be pretty hot. Um, but those are the, that's what I would look for is I, if an area where there's some, some, uh, really green beans and then, um, a, a water source in the hills is a good good area too. Uh, well, how about a bean field that uh, the wind's blowing across and blowing over a ridge, and the leeward side? In like early September, I think they're going to bed a little higher, more like those, yeah. you know, just up at the top towards the top of the ridge. And they're going to get up and go towards that that bean field and just getting just into the timber in between that. You know, maybe getting them where there's some acorns or something else, something secondary in there, kind of like what Jake was alluding to. Yeah, and, I don't uh, know. I mean, to me, that's that's easier. You get more groups of deer coming in there. But obviously, yeah. if I see one out in the beans. I'm going after. Them. I was going to say that. I think I think me and me and you, Dan, talked about this last year when I was in I was in Nebraska September first, and I think uh -huh. maybe our, I think maybe we don't have to be quite as aggressive that time of year because the bucks are getting to the food early so glassing those beans is a really good tactic yeah I mean, it's mm -hmm. not a waste of day i mean you go find a deer mm -hmm. i mean look at how i hunted in indiana now that was rut mm -hmm. but i was really struggling until i got the glasses out and just gave up a, a morning or yep. two and watched the fields then i'm getting on them like crazy yep i wouldn't be afraid to hunt a little closer to the food source that time of year i don't you know i uh, at least for your first couple hunts you know for one, maybe you'll glass something up, and for two, they're probably making it there in daylight. Um, 
Here I was talking and I forgot to go to the next question. Well, did you give Jake a chance to? Uh, oh yeah, Jake. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, any, any, any input there? Yeah, let's kill like big deer in hill country uh, early season. So it would depend on uh, if I was coming up, if I was coming in out of state, or if I was there all the time. But I, I like both your tactics. You know, I really like the idea of the leeward ridges that are going to dump down into like those bean fields. I would spend a lot of time throughout the summer if I could glassing those areas. And then, you know, you only have to hunt as aggressive as the deer are telling you to. So if they're coming out to the field, hunt the field. And you know what? Even if you did screw up, you're probably still going to have a shot on that buck and his bed up on top of that hill. So you might have more opportunities doing that. So, yeah, I would I would be the same as both of you guys. Right. And the glasses are going to teach you something, too, because you might be seeing them coming out an hour before dark on a regular basis. Well, now you're hunting the field edge. Yeah. yeah, you might be seeing that uh, one day out of a week they make it out there and it's right on gray light and you're assuming they're coming out later on the other nights and now you gotta you gotta penetrate a little. So the glassing is huge in my opinion. Yeah, I think uh, something else I would advise you, Kentucky, is the pressure there has immensely uh, increased over the last three years. Uh, so if you can find a pocket, that's that's why I mentioned the the little pond in the middle of the hills somewhere uh get away from people a little bit it seems like you know when i was hunting there five or six years ago there really wasn't people down there and the last few years it's really increased in pressure i think just the word's gotten out of of you can go there early and there's good deer there um so if you if you do find a green bean field you want to probably claim your area pretty quick there and stay on it but um okay uh any advice on how to break down hill country in Michigan filled with horse trails? Jake, you actually mentioned horse trails earlier. Any, yeah, so, uh, I mean, any recommendations? I would, uh, I would start out with, you know, e-scouting, just like we talk about a lot. And uh, I would focus on leeward ridges for the most part, which is just something that's near and dear to me. You know, that's where I have my luck and. I think that you can kill a deer on any side of the ridge. I think they bet on any side of the ridge, but I think the majority of the mature bucks are going to be on that leeward side. So that's what I'm going to stick to for the most part. Um, but I would try to, I would try to stack as many things as possible. You know, if you can find an area that has those nearby ag fields, uh, if you can find areas that have clear cuts, if you can find areas that have a lot of terrain features that meet and create like either hubs or micro hubs or anything like that, that's going to help you, you know, stack as many things as possible and then figure out a way to locate those deer based on that, whether that's trail cameras, whether that's glassing, whether that's bumping them off of ridges. And uh, once you have the deer that you're after located, you have it scouted pretty good. You've got some beds mapped, uh, you know, you know, some food sources in there. You're going to be you're going to be pretty good come season. Yep. And I, I think like to add, add something, too, is is those uh, horse trails. Don't be afraid of them. Use them. Those yeah. deer are used to those guys going through there. And I hunt conservancies that got trails. And kind of like Jake was alluding to before, those trails you can access. I have actually hunted on those trails right on the trail and got away with hunting the same spot five days in a row in late season because those deer would accept the human scent on that trail. But if I got 20 yards or even 10 yards off of that trail, they would spook. So in, in that winter time frame, I didn't even have deer. I mean, people walking those trails. So I'd put the trail cameras right on those trails too, because I could check the trail cameras without spooking those deer. And I'd find that those deer would cross those trails in daylight. 
and their concentration would be to stop before they got to the trail and look up and down the trail for people and would not be looking up or even thinking about you in a tree. And I think uh, beyond that, accessing the property, you're doing minimal damage if you take those trails where deer are used to you walking to access everything, even if it's a little further out of the way. If you're not leaving that trail, you're not really putting an imprint or a, a fingerprint on that property to those deer. They're used to that trail being used. So um, you got to look at the good in those trails instead of dwelling on the negative of more people being back there. I think the hunting pressure is more damaging than than trail walkers because those people just generally stay on the trails. Yeah, they're not paying attention to those deer. We uh, there's a lot of hill, there's a lot of horse trails in the Huger National uh, Forest in Indiana. And last or two years ago in late season, uh, a buddy of mine, Global from Wisconsin, he shot a he shot a dandy. Um, it was a nice ten point. We didn't end up finding it, but uh, he wasn't probably 70 yards from the, the horse trail uh, when he shot it on the same ridge, you know, on the same system. It wasn't like he was a ridge over or anything. So they'll, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll uh, skirt around you there on those horse trails. So that's probably what he was alluding to mentioning the horse trails. He probably was worried about them. So, all right, we have three people lined up to, to talk here. So I'm going to just go in order guys. Uh, we're going to bring in another Jake that we're all familiar with. Hey, Jake. You're on mute, man. I was trying to make jokes about being the worst Jake on this podcast, but oh, well. I guess I didn't go through. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to eat up too much time, um, <clears throat> but Jake, big fan of yours, honestly. I learned a lot, um, and uh, I love the weight equipment in the background. I'm a wrestler, too, so that's my everyday. Um but uh, I'm getting ready to set up some trail cameras on Saturday here coming up. Um, and kind of my mission to post on the Hunting Beast channel is to take a new property. Uh, it's a really big one and break it down this summer and then kind of call my shot based off my scouting videos, my e-scouting, and then hopefully kill a mature buck on it on public land. Um, so I have a few specific questions to this property and I'm, I'm really familiar with kind of your style because I listen to a lot of those podcasts you're on. But um I know you really like complex ridge systems with a lot of different areas jutting off on them. And I know you like to set up cameras on community scrapes. Um, and I'm, I've got a few areas that I have betting points located that I'm pretty certain um, have got mature buck betting on them. And I have 10 cameras I can put out. And so how would you prioritize putting out those cameras? Would you try to get survey material to find what kind of bucks are in the area and using certain ridge systems? Or would you try to set up more predominantly on those known buck bedding points and uh, identify if those bucks are shootable early season? So uh, I appreciate the shout out, by the way. Thanks yeah, for uh, thanks for coming on too. Um, but so generally, I don't run cameras too close to the beds or like on a specific bedding point. And for me, it's more of like an intrusive thing. I try to stay off there as much as possible. What I really like doing is if you're talking about the fact that you have multiple ridges where they're bedding and then they're, they're dropping down into a hub. Correct. Yeah. That, I'm, I'm assuming that um, based okay. off of that secondary food source kind of technique. Yep. Yeah. So that hub should definitely be a really good area to run a camera and get a lot of good inventory of deer in the area, uh, especially throughout the summer. And then as you roll in a season. So there's a, there's a couple different ways that you can run cameras and target that you can run cameras on the specific secondary food sources as well. So say that you know they're coming off a like 
all right, he's bedded on this, you know, Eastern facing Ridge on the point of this Ridge. And he's dumping off to the North to hit like an Oak tree or, or a briar patch or whatever he's eating. Um, a, a lot of times I'll run cameras on those secondary food sources as well as the hub down in the bottom. And that'll help me determine how I want to target that deer. If, you know, if I feel like I'm going to go into an area and there's say, say that I think that I have a 20% chance that he's on one on like that specific Ridge and there's five ridges that jut into a bottom. I might hunt the hub down in the bottom before I jump up on one of those ridges because I'm not positive. But if I only have like one or two ridges that dump down into that bottom, you have a lot better shot of going up onto the ridge towards that secondary food source and catching him coming off. But the last thing you want to have happen is him come off the ridge behind you and be down in the hub while you're up on the hill with your thermals dropping down. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, absolutely. I'm doing a lot of, uh, now that there's actually leaves on, I'll be doing this uh, throughout the summer and then in the early season too. And I'm doing a lot of like uh, milkweed dropping. Um, I think in the next two videos I have coming out, they'll have some of that in it and I actually go down to one of those hub skirts. I think I actually mentioned you. So I found some fern patches that were heavily browsed on and a few other things. And I talked about your strategy with the hub scrapes and the secondary sources, but the thermals completely change when you get down to that bottom based on if the sun's setting or rising. Um, and you can tell that it's just like very, very heavily visited in the mornings before they go up. Um, so that, yeah, that was, that was huge. Um, so I'll be focusing cameras more on those community scrapes too, for sure. Um, and, uh, I know, do you prefer hunting kind of below those bedding points? Like when you've established a point that a buck will drop down to a scrape from, uh, using that like multiple cam tactic to try to establish a travel direction. Do you like prefer to hunt a little bit below them when those thermals have switched and started dropping or like say you're in an area uh, with a lot of oaks on top, do you try to like pinpoint one main hot feeding oak and try to get them to come topside over to you? Or I guess it's probably situational, but yeah, it is. So in general, I'm really trying to find hubs where they're dropping down at night. You know, that's going to help. Obviously if you're below them and your thermals start pulling down. The other thing too, about the hub systems, I try to pay a lot of attention to is the way the drainage faces. So I really like the hubs that have a drainage either running out to the east or to the north. Mm -hmm. That way with a west or a south wind, it's helping blow my scent out of that drainage. You know, like the worst thing that you could have is a crosswind, in my experience, in right. one of those hubs because it's just going to swirl like crazy. Um, but if you do have a crosswind, it's still huntable if you go up on the ridge more. You know, if you start working up on the ridge towards that specific bed, you can get away with a little bit of a crosswind too. I hope that answered your question. Is there a yeah. little bit more you want answered or? No, 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 that absolutely, that absolutely makes sense. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think, I think a lot of it is just going to be, I've, I've spent probably 140 miles since January, I think is what I've logged. Um, awesome. just on this specific property. Um, and I haven't run out of room on it yet. So it's a pretty big property, but, um, I really need to kind of figure out what they're doing. Um, I'm hoping cameras will help out with that, but I definitely need to do a bunch of shining and stuff like that. Um, I have a really like interesting case with, um, shed hunting this year. I, I don't really do a whole lot of shed hunting. I do a lot of like scouting, but I started coming across sheds. Um, and I found like, this is for this area. It's a decent shed. I found like three of these sheds that were all potentially shooters within 200 yards of each other on a South facing slope and all within honeysuckle or, or uh, um, not honeysuckle, um, honey locust. 
And so they all seem to be browsing on the same thing. Um, and I know you talked about areas that you found sheds and then even got on to those deer in the early season. If I found, I so I found five of these sheds that were really, really good potential. How would you kind of approach that situation? What would you think of that? If you found a very, very high concentration of good sized buck sheds um, in one same area, would you just relate that to late season or early season as well? So, so it depends, you know, you're going to have, like we talked about earlier a little bit for me there's like two different situations i run into there's the areas where the bucks will be there year round because they have everything that they need and then you're going to have the areas where they vacate and they could migrate you know up to even maybe a couple miles maybe more than that for like a specific food source and then good thermal cover so you're going to have to look at that area and really try to determine and pinpoint which one of those you think it is you know maybe you can go off of uh summer sign in there like if you're finding a lot of tracks down in the bottoms or if you're finding a lot of browse you know if you have green briar is it is it yep. green in the summertime where it's been nipped off or is it starting to brown up from like it was a springtime thing you know try to determine if those deer are there or not and sometimes it's hard it's a it's a difficult thing for me to figure out still you know i'm still generally new to this whole thing too so uh <laughs> yeah it's a it's a work in progress but it sounds like you're definitely you're, you're on track to uh, having some success. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, the, it, it was really interesting because um, so we have like a west and and little later in the season a north northwest kind of predominant wind here. And um, the the one of the days I scouted this it was a day earlier before I found all these sheds. Um, I was on a ridge that would work really well for a south wind or a southeast southwest wind. And it had just a lot of your classic bedding cover. It had a lot of briars all over it and stuff like that. It had a little CRP on the top side. So I thought it had potential for rut bedding below it because a lot of the time here they bed below those uh, um, doe bedding areas with the predominant wind blowing into them so that they can smell those does when they come into heat. But there was like no bedding on it. I was really, really shocked. And so a day later, I went to the area that it was the main wind, like a northwest kind of wind and a west kind of wind. Um, and uh, I expected to see pretty much the same thing I saw from the other ridge. And I was really shocked in even a little more open timber. They were just all over the place. Uh, there was bedding everywhere because one, it was that predominant wind and it was off of one of the main accesses with a really, really steep cut going down to the low part where people would access. Um, so it was one of those areas that I kind of rode off because it was so close to the access, but it was really cool to see that they were literally just watching people walk in um, and this area gets a lot of gun season pressure. So I'm assuming it's around then. And, and while there's a bit of green briar that I know is active in the early season, they might be browsing on. Um, it was just hard for me to determine what kind of early season food source they're on there too. Um, but it's definitely an area that I'm going to soak a trail camera, um, off of one of those main bedding points and kind of figure out if they're using that more in the early season or not. Um, Dan, I was, I was wondering to pick your mind on that. If I found a really high concentration of sheds. I know you and I have personally talked a few times about areas where it seemed just untouched because you would find shed after shed in there. Um, you have any advice on things like that? Um, kind of what Jake said depends. Um, there's places where they feed heavy in winter and you'll find concentrations and that's when they've dropped their sheds, obviously. And there's, there's places where you find a bedding area full of sheds and and then you, then you have the opportunity if you think they're bedding there, to uh, read the beds, look at what they got for cover, 
Is this cover that could um, keep a deer here year round? Um, is this food based? What's the food around here? Is it a late season food source or is there a year round food source? Is this an overlooked spot? Um, you start doing the detective work and you determine why are the bucks here and when are they here? And uh, that's the big question with every bedding area you run into. Uh, even the ones that have um, bucks bedding in them year round, the primary bedding areas, as I like to call them, <laughs> still have a peak time period when they're being used. And that might be late season if you're finding a bunch of shed antlers in there. It might also be that that's a good late season spot and it's not a good time at any other time of the year. And late season spots seem to shift because the best late season food sources seem to shift year to year. Um, so really, um, I don't think anybody can answer your question without really studying the bedding area and stuff and figuring that out. And yeah. I think that's where you're going to struggle for a while, but the more you look at them, the more you'll start to figure that out. You just got to start really looking at the, the beds, finding the exact beds they're using, looking at the situation with each one, the cover and food sources, the trails going in and out, the amount of rut sign and uh, making a determination of when you think that deer is there. Yeah. And occasionally yeah, you're going to be wrong. I mean, yeah. it is a guess, but um, through um, trial and error, you're going to get better and better at it the more you do it. Mm -hmm. This was, Jake, when you said uh, picking through leaf layers, uh, that was something I learned from from Andy May and Dan and all them. Um, but that was something that I've been doing a lot lately and finding a, a big difference in being able to age those bedding areas. Dan, with the sign, too, that was huge, the type of browse near nearby this particular area um they seem to be bedding higher than normal and that's something i see when it's more open terrain and they kind of are using it as more visual bedding especially when the snow is on in late season um and a lot of the hair was on top of the leaves um you could tell that like a lot of the poop was on top of the leaves from when they were mainly feeding in that area um but yeah picking through picking through those i think I love finding early season beds because it, it seems a lot more obvious when it's under all those leaf layers and you can tell the dirt is also worn out in the area rather than just like the foliage and stuff. Um, yeah, but I'm just really hoping that uh, this, this tactic kind of works out. I'm kind of scrapping all the things I've learned over the last three years with about eight different properties I've walked every inch of and just trying to do this uh, to kind of prove to the viewers that, uh, these tactics work and if they just go out and they put in the work that anyone can be successful, but who knows you know, that's one thing that's really uh, keyed me in on primary bedding areas uh, more than shed antlers is dead deer. You find a, a lot, lot of dead deer in these bottoms. Dead bucks in, in, uh, in the primary bedding areas, they seem to run home and die. Mm -hmm. um, and when you start finding bedding areas with bones all over the place, I mean, it's not cut and dried like anything else. It's still, yeah, I got a, a deadhead from really, really sets it into my mind that it's a good area. I got a hey, deadhead this year. Sorry, hey, I'll, I'll pop up. Yeah, we got three other people waiting to, to no, talk. You're good, so, you're good. Uh, all good, man. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for calling in. Thanks for the next one. All right. Yeah, appreciate yeah. Talk it. to you later, appreciate man. It. Bye. All right. Next one, uh, familiar face here, too. Gary. Hey, guys. Um, hey. Uh, Jake, I just wanted to say uh, thanks for the information on hub scrapes. Um, I've been hunting in uh, southern Indiana near Josh for the last couple of years, and uh, 
near me. He stays in my garage when he hunts here. Right, right. First class, man. Um, but uh, after, you know, I messaged you a couple times with some questions and I listened to quite a few podcasts, I started looking for hubs and I got into one hub where uh, there were a lot of sign um, and of course the hub scrapes were in there, uh, but I couldn't find their beds in that hub. But there's a hub right next to it with a, um, with a ridge line that runs between the two. And I went in that hub and I found beds like crazy, but no scrapes. It was kind of, kind of uh, odd. Um, so I started looking around a little bit, started poking around. They both go to the same field as a hay field. Um, the ridge that separates the two uh, has a flat spot with just tons of greenbriar on top of it and an old, old logging road that kind of runs down that ridge to that uh, field. But um, how would you, what I'm thinking is, is that they're not going out the other hub. There's a ladder stand right on the edge of private and public. So I don't know if that pressure has got them jumping into the other hub or if it's because of it's more uh, more solitude in the other hub going into that field. It's, you can't see it from a road or anything in that entrance. But what would you do? Where would you go? How would you go about hunting that? Now, the leeward, the leeward side for the predominant wind would be the actual ridge in the other hub. In in the in the hub that doesn't have the scrape or that does have the scrape that doesn't have the scrape but has all the beds, okay. And that's the one that has the leeward ridge. Yeah, they both have leeward ridges, but the other leeward ridge with in the hub that has all the scrapes is all open timber, and okay. I yeah. couldn't find any decent beds in it. Yep. So yeah, I mean. I, I think that if they have the choice between two leeward ridges, they're definitely going to choose the one that has the most cover on it. And it's kind of what you've seen, right? I mean, that, yes. um, I've had a lot of success in Southern Ohio with Greenbrier ridges. I mean, to the point where you almost can't even walk through them, you know, it's just a mess, but yep. they, they love betting on those. And, you know, it's a, it's a browse source too. They can lay there and they can browse pretty much all day on that Greenbrier. Um, you know, I've, I've got spots that hold them like that all year round. So what I would do is I would still run a camera on that hub scrape that you found. If you feel that that's an authentic hub scrape, you know, it's not something that somebody made in the bottom there. Um, it's got a really good looking branch on it. You know, the, the dirt has been scraped away for years and it might even have like, a, you know, a decent hole build up now where you can tell that it's just been used for a long time. I would run a camera there. And then I would really try to focus on finding, if you don't have a hub scrape to put a camera on and the other one, either maybe making a mock scrape or just try to find the travel routes between the beds that you found over there and that destination food source. And then I would also look at, do you have any other secondary food sources on the way between the two of those? You know, is there a little oak flat that's kind of secluded? Is there one oak tree? Is there... Are they just browsing on the greenbrier and then they're jumping out of the greenbrier and going to uh, to that field? And then the other thing to think about too, as far as targeting a deer coming out of that briar, you, you got to really you got to really think about how far he's going to want to travel. You know, I don't know how far that greenbrier drops down off that ridge, but 
you might have to be right up next to that transition line to actually kill him. Or you, if it's, if it's thick enough, maybe you can get some movement out of him. But I would really try to figure out how to target those specific beds based off of that once you find travel routes. Okay. Do you uh, notice that any mature bucks actually walking it straight on the top of a, a ridge, a big ridge? Or are they usually that two-thirds the way up? Because uh, when I went in there, I noticed the whole top of a ridge on the hub that does not have bedding is just solid rubs. Mm-hmm. And you know that I don't know if they're just running perpendicular to that and rubbing on the way over the top or if they're actually going up and down that ridge. Yeah, so rubs are tough for me because it's hard for me to determine what time of year they were made. You know, it could be those rubs could be from two year olds running the top of that ridge during the rut, just making a ton of sign or or it could be a big deer. I mean, it's hard to tell. Um, But generally, I don't like being on tops of the ridges. I just don't seem to find the mature bucks traveling up there very often. Um, The steeper, the better for me. You know, if I can find generally in that upper third but i found it down lower if i can find like that one trail that cuts that hillside that's like in the steepest part of it i try to focus on that you know um i try to stay off of the flats as much as possible as far as like travel routes you know like those old logging cuts can be good i've killed deer on them but what i've noticed is a lot of the really mature bucks will skirt that logging road either above it or below it on like a hidden trail, like there will be a lesser trail and maybe it's on that transition line in the Greenbrier. But uh, yeah, in general, I would say that, you know, and this is situational, right? Like this is, this is off of what I've seen down here and in based on my own experiences, but overall I don't spend a ton of time or resources on top of the ridges. Okay. One other thing I had to laugh about uh, you bringing up ticks at one point yeah uh i'm from uh east central wisconsin and i tell you what those chiggers are the chiggers are the most horrible thing and every time we go to indiana i always get them uh, josh can vouch for me i had them all over my body last yeah. season and i uh, had to get on prednisone but uh yeah uh they've got some mean critters there uh <laughs> Josh can uh, fend for that because uh, yeah. he had me step on a ground hornet's nest and they chased me about 50 <laughs> yards. And he's kind of looking at me like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, yeah, they liked him for some reason and not me. Man, the insects are just horrible. But, uh, yeah. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Uh, thanks, yeah, Gary. Cool, Gary. Thanks for coming thanks, on. Gary. Yep. All right. One more here. Eric, how's it going, hey, man? Hey, everybody. Good. How how is uh, spring scouting going for everybody this year? Good, good. Finding some gold. Excited for season to get here. Say oh, that yeah. way. Good. Um, Jake, honestly, this is the first time that you know I've heard your name. Um, I look forward to watching some of your videos and supporting your channel. Uh, what is the name of your channel? It's uh, Legends of the Hunt. Okay, excellent. I look forward to watching some of yeah, that. I appreciate that gaining some knowledge. Um, so I guess my question kind of, um, each of you can answer briefly if you would. Um, I don't hunt a lot of hill terrain. I don't have a lot of it around me. I find myself in the swamps. 
uh, more often. Um, so I don't, I don't have a lot of experience really aside from, you know, Dan's hill country video. Um, I do want to expose myself a little more to some hill country hunting. Uh, I would like to hit uh, Western Wisconsin where it does have some decent hill terrain. Um, what do you, what do each of you suggest? What would be your number one piece of advice coming into a hill country situation? Um, more than likely it would be going in blind. I know there's a thousand answers, but in kind of an open-ended question, but what would be your number one piece of advice you could give to a hunter uh, first going into hill, hill country? Who's first? Jake, you go, Jake? Go first. Uh, yeah, I can go. So number, so are you talking about going into it as far as like, scouting and then hunting or going or like diving right in in a hunting situation i guess scouting during the day and then setting up for an evening hunt okay um my number one piece of advice for that i would say that i wouldn't i wouldn't set up a stand in a location until i was very confident in that location so i would rather take the scouting out in the woods or you know traveling around trying to locate a deer in the woods or locate sign over the hunt you know and once i have what i feel i need to locate which you're a hunter you're going to know that stuff right you know once i have that that dialed in and i'm confident in the area where it's like okay there's good sign here you know i have this here it's thick up on top of that ridge it's leeward it's facing either you know for your, whatever your wind is, if it's a south wind, it's facing north or some version of that. Um, you know, it's got some of these factors that I'm looking for. If you can couple that with thick areas like clear cuts, or if you can couple that with a very obvious destination food source like a private ag field, that's going to help up your odds in a short period. Thank you. Yep. For me, um, being fairly familiar with. Uh western wisconsin in the area you're talking about um and knowing the pressure well and the size of the properties they're smaller properties um my suggestion would be to look at some maps beforehand find properties that are uh, away from the cities and in, in bigger towns more in the farming areas because the the properties there's lots of public over there but there's scattered small properties and when you get into the farming communities and away from the campgrounds and, and towns and stuff, the people that travel there to hunt generally hunt near where they stay. And they don't go out into the middle of these farming areas and the people in the farming areas have farms to hunt on. So they don't get as much pressure. And then I look for properties that have hard access or the access isn't very obvious. Like there's no parking spot or, you know, um, when they got big parking lots to get pounded and then, then, um, I look for the overlooked stuff, the stuff overlooking the parking lots when it's got a low access, um, the stuff that's across the creek, uh, the harder access stuff. I'll map that stuff out beforehand before I even go because uh, you have all summer to do that, right? So map out some spots and, you know, mark them on Onyx where you want to check out. And then when you get there and hunt, the biggest mistake people make is they'll map out those spots and they'll go to them in the dark or at first light. And they'll sit there the whole day and they'll say, in rut, I got to be in a tree the whole day. My odds of getting, killing a deer during rut is all day. And uh, 
I don't really agree with that. Um, if you have the place pre-scouted and you know where to be, yeah, being in a tree all day is probably better than sitting in a restaurant. But scouting those spots that you have marked, one after another, sliding in there in a way that you won't spook the deer, but checking them out. And then hunting the hottest spot you found for the day, for the evening. You know what I mean? And just repeating, putting in a lot of scouting and finding those good spots and uh, making sure you're in a good spot every day. It's more important. You have to have some scouting time during the day. It's my point. So I, I'm not real familiar with Western <clears throat> Wisconsin, uh, but I guess I'd give you the tips for when I think of hill country, I think of bigger chunks of public, which I bet Jake probably does too. Um, I would advise you to probably try to walk one mile before you really get serious about um, where you're, you're going to start scouting um, around here. If you can get a mile in, it seems like the, the pressure drastically um, reduces. Uh, you'll find ladder stands and ground blinds and everything else up to about a mile and then things go away. And then also I found some really good spots around here that are like, we have some like gravel roads that run through the, the public and people don't seem to hunt off the ridges on those gravel roads. So that would be what Dan said, overlook spot. But um, that's what I always tell people is you can walk, you can walk away from people in the hills um, I don't know if that's a good one or not, but you guys had good ones. So I wanted something different. <laughs> yeah, I think they were all good points. I just, like I said, there, there are a thousand different answers for the question that I asked, but I wanted to hear from each of you just to get an idea of how each of you would attack it differently. Um, because I really have no exposure to hill terrain, um, but I would really like to uh, start getting into it. So i doing a little traveling. So um it's good exercise yeah that that i can imagine i can imagine and hey, uh, eric yes guess what man what? you uh dan uh has agreed to give away something in this podcast and we're gonna give it away to a caller and uh you won the the giveaway you're gonna get you a dvd all right which one is it whichever one you want which one do you want i think i have them all <laughs> oh well <laughs> you, one away as a gift. you got the, you got the big woods the big ones would the I big do. wood I, one? I got no. that last week um what i don't have is a blood brothers video yeah we got those you can have I one would, of those i would take one of those that would be cool sure. well you're like you're like building a building at dan's house right now aren't you or something no, he's done but uh i've been oh. avoiding because i haven't paid him yet so <laughs> This why he's on here, huh? He's able to catch me. I was DVD and the money. Eric is like, I got in court right now. I'm gonna get on this call, this live live stream. I was like, I saw him come on. I'm like, oh, oh, And I was starting to wonder if the stairs collapsed or something. I'm just kidding. Oh man. Um. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, appreciate thank it, you guys very much. I appreciate yeah, all your all your answers. Good to meet Take you. Get a hold of me. Uh, we'll go get something to eat or something, and I'll uh, I'll pay you up. Sounds good, Dan. <laughs> pay for dinner too. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right, man. See you. Eric. Thanks for coming on, guys. Uh, we had a whole bunch of uh, questions in the comments, but it's getting a little long. I want to I want to be respectful to Dan and Jake's time. So. Um, I appreciate everybody getting on. If you if you like the the podcast and the show, make sure you subscribe to the channel. And we got some some really good guests coming up 
over the next few weeks here. So I appreciate everybody getting on. 